Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Smooshy! Smooshy, this is our very first podcast. Smooshy, we've been talking about this for so, so long. Yes, we started talking about this maybe 15 years ago. (laughs) Well, not about a podcast, but we would always have these conversations with one another about things that were happening in the world from your perspective in terms of trends and from my perspective in terms of culture and trends and in my own way. And I'm so happy that we finally decided to open up the conversation because every single time I talk to you, I always feel like I want to share it with everyone. And every time I talk with you, I think, how do we get there? Wait a minute. We first started talking about this, but before long, we get deep. We could be talking about anything in the world, what you had for breakfast, and then we start seeing these droplets of trends come together. The butterfly forecast is so much about the movement of individuals and how they affect the collective. And it seems that our conversations, we notice that a lot mm-hmm. with the people we encounter, even though we have completely different fields and careers. Yeah, it's so cool because I wasn't really even aware of the butterfly effect and its meaning until recently. Yeah, and what's interesting about it, I think there's a lot of misnomers about the butterfly effect. You know, it really originally, I think, started with a meteorologist's observation of the trajectory of tornadoes Hmm. and butterflies. It was just noted that the flapping of their wings as they migrate change the trajectory of tornadoes. That's what makes it so exciting when we talk, because when you uncover one more thing that's true or becomes visible, and it never was, just from your small input, it makes you feel like your whole life has become more valuable. Yes. I think it's so cool, the whole concept of the butterfly effect, how something so small as a butterfly flapping its wings can have such major implications. Mm -hmm. And I've always been so fascinated by nature and how many examples we have in nature Mm -hmm. about things that happen in our world. I just feel like it's such a beautiful mirror for us because that's kind of how we are too. Like you said, you never know what the smallest thing you do, how great of an impact it can have. That's true. And I think why you and I started moving into sharing our conversations is because so many people right now with all the chaos and the breaking down of old systems in the world are starting to feel like they're not impactful anymore. And you'll notice there's this greater and greater quest for knowledge People are Googling everything and they give you their quick to quote somebody. But really, there's so much research going on. It's not that the solution isn't routed in knowledge, but we need knowledge that empowers, not just something we collect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we share conversation, the butterfly effect and its potential 
Isn't it really about empowering every single butterfly? Because only when they all flap their wings can it at the moment keep that tornado, proverbial tornado at bay, just like in the era we're living in. Yes, which is why we started the Butterfly Forecast. Smooshy, do you remember we did that... um, the first recording without even being serious about it being a podcast, but we actually recorded our conversation in your old uh, studio. <laughs> there was so much noise out front. Car alarms went off. Buses were going by, motorcycles, and we just kept talking as it ricocheted through our little recording. I love it. Yeah, so good. Well, we have a lot of questions for each other in this podcast. And I really hope that the anybody who is with us, you know, listening or viewing can think about our questions in these podcasts as something to ask themselves. Because mm-hmm. it's really not just about you and I. So Smushi, one thing that you said to me that really, really resonated with me was the concept of not who we are, but what we are. Mm. And thinking about this question has really, really opened up such a greater awareness of what I am here. And also it's opened up my awareness of how to view other people as well. You know, we're so used to identifying ourselves in terms of our careers and who we are to people, whether it be our family or our friends, but we'd never really address the question of what we are and what we bring. Mm. Can you explain the difference between who and what we are? I don't think there's anything more important than your question. I actually think if we did a podcast for the rest of our lives until we're ancient, this question could go forever with new perspectives and dimensions and facets of the answers. And I say that because I don't think humans so far, like in philosophy books, and everything we've learned and and how we're perceived in society. We only address who we are instead of what we are. So who are you? Where do you come from? Whose children are you? You know, what's your background? What's your education? What's your social status? And, and so on. But if we knew what we were, which is a mystery, the human reality is a mystery that no one can fathom, that opens up, finally, the big door of exploring and expressing that nature. And so I think it would change children, no matter what what our circumstances are that we are born into and inherit, and whatever we will encounter in life. Imagine if we knew that we were an unfathomable mystery that is full of powers and faculties and gifts and talents and virtues and traits and qualities, just like a butterfly that impact the world. Understanding that would literally change the way education happens, the way law would be enforced. And of course, by nature, by definition, we could no longer have any form of prejudice if we knew what we were. Because whether we want to call it energy or souls or the essence of a person, it doesn't matter. But we do know that every person brings something unique. We just don't understand that it's literally 
everyone. And, uh, you know, I lived in Swaziland for many years, and now it's called Eswatini. And uh, during that time, there was um, a grocery store, the main grocery store in the country, the one that you could actually get possibly something you were looking for, was in a strip mall and um, was in the capital city of Mabane. And um, I used to see this man who was on a skateboard. He only had his upper body. So from his hip bones up is what he had. He also did not have a tongue, so he did not speak. And he used to sit on a skateboard and put a cup in front of him. I would watch him wheel down. I didn't know where he lived, but I saw how long it took him to wheel from the main road across the street into the strip mall. And uh, I felt an intense draw towards him. Um, I felt blessed to see him every day, every time I was there. And so, you know, I would go by and each time I would just look at him and I would just say good morning or good afternoon. And he would look back at me and that was our rapport and our relationship. But he was important to me because I would look for him first. And so one morning I went there and I couldn't find him. He wasn't in his usual spot. And I started to look for him throughout the mall and the area. And I noticed other people looking for something. And I, when I asked, they said they were also looking for him and worried. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I ever ask him to write down for me his address so I could know where he was, so somebody could, you know, make sure he was always taken care of, that he was always well. Anyway, some days went by and he was back in his spot. And on that day I went there and I just looked at him and I cried and I cried and I just conveyed to him how worried I had been and and asked him if we could know where he lived in case he ever needed help. But it was that day that I began to realize how powerful that man was in all of our lives and even the productivity of the mall. I think many people came there to see him and then they made it their business and get their things there. But I don't think any of us know how important we are or the people we encounter are in your day-to-day -day life. And perhaps if we understood the what part, that's what made me start thinking a lot about how different life would be if we treated each other with their real due regard, you know. And also, of course, it always brings back a little me search in the research. And how many times have you, Smishy, felt like you were at a gathering or an event, maybe new, maybe not, but nobody got you, nobody saw you, nobody took the time, mm -hmm. or they made an assumption about you. What do you think you are? What do you think you bring? Wow, I don't know. It's hard for me to talk about myself, but I do know the feeling, though, when I recognize somebody on that level, mm. Where I'm like, ooh, there's a connection. I mean, it's the only word that I have for it. There's a connection there where I look at them and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to be their friend. 
or they're going to be my friend. Mm. They don't know it yet. Or there's certain people that kind of demand a certain sort of respect Mm. from you. And it's not that they're important people yet. You don't even know who they are, but it's almost like their soul or whatever that essence is, is like present before them. I think that's what that man in Swaziland had huge amounts of nobility. Yeah. You hold yourself different in front of them and you don't know why. And you find different parts of yourself being drawn out because of them. Mm -hmm. And you think it's you, but it's really them. So true. It's so true. Yes. That's why you feel so good with some people. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, even if only one of you recognizes the other, recognizes some qualities of what you are or what you bring, I think it's enough for you to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's magical. Like what you're describing is something else. The dynamic and phenomenon of mutuality of purpose. Mm. What could be more exciting and confirming and just makes life so sweet when that happens? Wait, talk more about that. Well, I mean, you know, you were saying you have felt that feeling, Mm -hmm. but then you being who you are, because you notice so much about people, you notice that it was them and not you Mm. that made that happen, that synergy happen. You know what? It's pretty common today. I I hear it a lot, both with uh, males and females, all ages. Everybody wishes they could find, quote unquote, their person. (laughs) And um, it's true. We all need someone who sees us and understands uh, more of the depth of what motivates us in life, because that's our purpose. And if you have a relationship or a friendship with someone who sees that in you, that's a true friend. Mm -hmm. Because you can go through changes and evolution. Even horrible things can happen to you and you can lose bits of yourself and and wear down and, and all sorts of experiences. And yet they will still want to be as close to you as ever because they see the what you bring because of what you are. And if you see that in them as well, it's magic, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's why we became the smooshies to each mm-hmm. other in your culture, Persian culture. What does mushi mean? Mushi means little mouse, but it's a term of endearment, like mushi. Yeah. Then we started to call each other mush and mushi, mm-hmm. and then it got to be smooshies. And I think that's what happens naturally when, in everybody's own version, of course, (laughs) Um, it's because it's so natural to grow things when we see what we are, even if we don't know the person well. You were saying that when you meet someone, sometimes you have a knowing that, oh, this person's going to be my friend. Mm -hmm. Has that always been the case? I think so, yes. But I think I've grown. I'm very shy. And so I don't think I had the nerves to do it before. When I was younger, it was really difficult for me to make friends. Mm. But I think after I came into myself a little bit towards the end of high school, middle end of high school, then it became easier for me. I think I experimented with it and it became easier for me. Maybe that's one of the things you bring. By the way, you avoided that question very nicely. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, but Smishy, I want to know what, what do you bring? I will, but you should share first. You know, I really don't know. I can tell you one thing I know. Maybe that'll get you started. Okay. Oh my gosh. You have an extraordinary gift with seeing not just the beautiful, unique qualities in people, but bringing people together that create kind of like your work and design, like you see how colors and design and shape and fabric and texture and era and themes, you put them together in such a way where we go, oh yeah, why haven't I always worn that? Why didn't I always think of that? You do that with people. You bring Mm. unlimited groups of people together as if they had always been friends. Do you acknowledge that? Yes. Have you always been like that? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's a rare thing. It's funny. After high school, I had my best friend in high school. Her name was Amikale. And our high school was very, very segregated. You know, the Mm. white people hung out on the lawn. The black people hung out in the lunch area. You know, the Asians hung out here. It was just like very, very segregated. And Amikale had moved here from Atlanta and it was her first day in school. And we met in Spanish class and we just hit it off right away. And I couldn't believe she wanted to be my friend because she was the prettiest girl I'd ever seen. And I just knew she was going to be very popular. And I was like, do you realize you're about to be friends with a nerd, like a really big nerd? (laughs) But she befriended me and she took me under her wing anyway. It was the sweetest thing. And we're still friends to this day. But it was so cool because we were friends throughout all of high school. And by the end of high school, I really believe that the two of us had merged every single different group of people together in high school. I mean, every day during lunch, it was sort of our thing we would end up hanging out in one main spot. But before we did that, we would go around to everyone and make our rounds with all the people that we knew and sort of joke around or do our thing or, you know, stay here and get stuck talking to so-and-so. And it was so cool. And I remember graduating high school and feeling like that was my biggest accomplishment mm. is I felt like we really brought the high school together. And it was in such a cool way because she knew all the bad words in Persian and would like go talk to the Persian guys in Farsi and like mess with them. And, you know, it's just sort of like we were able to transcend any kind of boundary that there was there and kind of create this special little situation in school where people became closer. That's so beautiful. And what a a powerful uh, demonstration of what could happen anywhere. It sounds like you also kind of created your own culture that had doors open. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just your exclusive, which is already such a big accomplishment with your two cultures, Mm -hmm. but you opened those doors too. I think that's one of your superpowers. It's a gift of yours and you make it look effortless. You make it look like we're doing you a favor. Thank you, Smishy. (laughs) I mean, you are, you are, because I get the most out of it. (laughs) Okay. What about you? What do you bring? Just by being you. Well, I think what I bring is um, a different perspective. One 
I love people in a kind of ridiculous, irresistible way. I don't need to be their friend to love them, but I can love people and recognize qualities of what they are, even if we're not directly connected. And I get joy out of that just as much as if I'm close to somebody. But I think what I bring is awe and wonder at recognizing some qualities in people maybe that they hadn't been recognized with before. And maybe it's a leftover from um, my early near-death experiences. It's possible. But regardless, it's still such a governing thing for me. Um, I think the other thing I bring is a boatload of questions. I think I could ask questions more than anybody I know about anything because everything fascinates me and I want to learn more about it. And that brings up 50 more questions about, you know, what I notice. So maybe I'm a different kind of a mirror, more about the what people are as opposed to the who they are. Yeah, I can attest to that for sure. I don't think that I had ever felt more seen than when I met you. (laughs) So this is the part that I love so much is that what you are is what makes you so special because that what is what you bring to every who you are. You know, when I'm doing a collaboration or when I'm doing design work, what makes it so cool isn't the actual thing, but it's the what that I'm bringing to it. Mm. And I love that because I can bring that to anything and anywhere. It's not limited to anything. And it, it brings me back to one time where you said that we're not roles, but we're entities. You know, a role is so specific mm. and you could play so many roles in the world, but we're not that we're so much bigger. We're, we're these huge entities that like you said, are mysteries. And you bring that entity into every room, into every conversation, into every project, into everything. And that is the valuable thing. And that's the part that we're not taught to discover or look at, or, you know, it's like so many of us have no idea what that power is that we have. So instead we operate from such a disempowered place where We use things that are temporary or qualities that are more based in survival. Or externally referenced. Yes. You know, like somebody says, you are valuable, Melody, because you did this and you do that, or you've really pioneered with this or that, which may be true and may be remarkable. I mean, something worthy of real commendation and and noting, but it's still not the what you brought through that. Right. What led to that? I work with someone who's in charge of an organization to stop bullying in America, child bullying. And when I learned that um, the number two cause of death for children in the United States alone is suicide as a result of bullying, it still knocks me flat. But I have reflected such a great deal about you know, different syllabuses and systems and schools. And they're also very different in private schools and public schools and homeschooling and whatever. None of those places are safe. 
we have to start teaching children what they are from their earliest, earliest age, because only then would they have the courage and the power to rise up from such a deplorable state that think that any human could ever drive another human to take their own life is really a commentary on the culture we've created, a lack of sacred reverence for what we are, and much less the greater universe. Forget we even talk about the universe itself and its fathomless qualities. But that alone makes me think we must start teaching and talking about what we are and that it's not egoic, but a necessity. Absolutely. It's so hard to think about where, how do you think that people can start doing this from what place or with what assistance? Because Mm -hmm. if you've never even been seen before, which so many people aren't, I feel like everything in our society is really designed to make you forget who you are. Mm. Everything's become sort of like a standard. We were talking about this one time where you were sharing about how beauty has almost become a prototype you know, where it's not so much about attraction, which is a sacred thing. It's more so about seduction and how do we manipulate into looking like this thing. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because with all the beauty standards going on, beauty has kind of become a prototype Mm. where a lot of girls kind of look the same now, unfortunately, because of the techniques that are out there. And it's no longer your natural beauty, which is where the attraction lies. Right. And even if you don't imitate that uh, look, that standard, which is so temporary, it's just only about this tiny bleep in time, you know, our little culture at this tiny moment out of millennia, uh, which will be gone in the blink of an eye. Um, But even those who don't attain it, they feel that they are evaluated by it. They're well aware that when they step outside of that standard, that they are seen as other or less than. And uh, I think that takes its toll as well. And that's just in beauty. Mm -hmm. There's so many other categories that this could fall under. So how can we facilitate more awareness and dialogue about what we are? Well... We really can't be about the business of discovering all that we are or even some of what we are if we don't want to observe the bigger picture, which is where do we come from? Because how can you say, what am I, if you don't know what designed you? You know, so I think that there's so much fear attraction cycles with exploring the divine, exploring the abstract realms, exploring a bigger picture of spirituality. And I think that historically, the roles of religions have so disempowered us and created so much control that we have a natural fear and aversion to being controlled again. So instead of exploring what happened, you know, man-made use of divine concepts and uh, like the golden rule is in every culture in the world. It's not just in one place. 
that's worthy of investigating. Why is it everywhere? And why do populations of people thrive, prosper, grow when they observe it? And what happens to societies that don't observe it? Like, let's read history and see what happened to civilizations that let go of it. So I do think that that is really the primary area of uh, how we could start these dialogues. Once we, even if you don't know, quote unquote, the answer, it doesn't matter because you're never going to know the answer. Nobody can ever say what the creator is. (laughs) So because of that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't explore the experience of investigating reality. That's so good. Smishi, what, why do you think that you are here? Well, first of all, do you think that you're here in this era for a reason? And if you do, what do you think you bring to this era? Me personally or us? Ooh, that's cool. Maybe both. <laughs> I mean, I think every soul has its particular aspiration because every era has its needs and we have to be deeply concerned about those needs and like the exigencies of the age we live in. And so once we see the era we're living in, like whatever problems are in an era, it's we wake up and ask ourselves, hmm, what do I know about the solutions to this? Because don't you see this and hear this? In so many books, conversations, interviews, like people will share, oh, it was at this turning point, this and this and this happened. And then they'll say their their magic moment and they'll say, and then I knew I was going to like go to school and become a doctor or I was going to set up something where we could create better housing or it's so inspiring when you ask those questions. So I think the era we're living in right now is a very dark era, really formidable. So many challenges of, of uh, injustices, social injustices, injustices about wealth and poverty and imbalances. And you, there's no area you couldn't pick apart right now. But don't you think it's fascinating that we were all born together now when we have such remarkable communication? So because we have remarkable, speedy, accurate communication, I'm not saying what's reported is accurate, but at least we have this this way of connecting. That means more people on our planet than ever before have access to the information that will make them understand, oh, wait a minute, you mean there's all these people out there doing this? Hmm, I wonder if I could do that in my country, in my locality, in my town, in my village. So I think that's why we're here now, because now is the time to heal age-long problems. But the only way to do it is together. Wait, I still want to know, I want to know the you. Well... I think I get my sense of the me part from my near-death experiences, if I'm honest, because in my near-death experiences, I was viewing the origin of our species in its many evolutions and eras. So 
you know, I had long experiences, so I had a lot of time to see a lot. And I was quite interested in why we became what we are today and what could we do so that we don't Mm self-destruct. However, because I observed it for such a long time and in such great detail, every landmass and before the time of the Adamic era, you know, before the Great Bering Straits, the journey across continents. I mean, I saw so many different continental formations. Each time it was the same. So I think it kind of embedded in me this desire to be helpful. Mm. I would do my best and spend my life trying to make life better for people. I think in my recent decades, It's really about witnessing people so that if there were missing pieces for them that stopped their evolution, they could reconnect. Mm. That's a lot. I just want to say it. I think that that's so cool, the work that you do, and that it's not easy. So I just want to acknowledge that. I feel like it's a privilege. I really do. I mean, it certainly takes me through different eras. You know, the longer you do something, the more you are part of what changes. Mm -hmm. But I feel every single day it's an extraordinary privilege. Mm -hmm. I never don't feel that way. (laughs) What about you, Smishy? What do you think you're here for? For me, you know, I think what we talked about earlier is a part of it. I think that I really enjoy bringing people together that wouldn't typically come together for conversation. And I really like getting people to the point where they want to ask the questions Mm. that, you know, we're talking about because a lot of people don't, they just don't question things. Mm. It almost feels like we've talked about this, right? You've observed that you feel like people are just sort of in this like deep sleep. Mm. And I've observed that as well, where I think that people are just sort of numbing themselves in a lot of ways or distracting themselves. And Mm -hmm. I loved when we had this one conversation one time where you talked about going on autopilot and how dangerous it is to go on autopilot because Mm -hmm. you really have to inhabit yourself Mm -hmm. because if you don't fully inhabit yourself, you allow other things to inhabit you, which Mm -hmm. could look like disease or it could be a number of things. Mm -hmm. But how important it is to be present. So I remember thinking about my time differently. Like before I would come home from work and I'd be so tired because I would work a really long day and I would sit down and I'd watch some like really bad, meaningless television show. And afterwards I'd feel like crap, but it was because I was going on autopilot. I was just checking Mm. out versus restoring myself and giving myself the things that I need so that I could do it all over again and do it better potentially. So anyway, that was a total segue, but I like bringing those kinds of awarenesses to people through design, through fashion and design. That's sort of been my palette so far. Mm. Yeah, I love making things that accompany people and remind them of who they are. And I love being able to show people, especially girls younger than me that, look, if I could do it, then you can do it too. And I remember always, you know, when I was young, I always was looking for examples and I had so many beautiful examples. And I was like, whoa, 
if she could be like that, then maybe there's a chance for me to do that, but maybe even do it better or add this other thing to it or do it from my perspective because I have some, I have an addition to that thing. I love that. I just love that. (laughs) Just think about you were a child thinking those thoughts just how powerful that is. And also how it tells you your whole life, no matter when people talk about you and your experiences, they miss the whole governing force of your life. That was the most governing force in your life. That's what was moving you Mm -hmm. forward. Truly. That's incredible. Do you feel that you are living that now? (laughs) I hope so. Not that it's ever finished. I don't mean that you've completed it, Mm -hmm. but... um, That's really, really inspiring. Yeah, I definitely think that I'm doing it now in many ways. Mm. It's changing and evolving, and I think I'm okay with all of it. It's interesting, too, how sometimes we think that it has to look like a certain thing. For example, in fashion, if all you had thought about is, I'm going to make these, I'm going to make stiletto heels. That's what I'm going to do. Or they represent this to me, or this is my dream, or I'm going to make them so that they're comfortable, or I'm good, whatever. You see your mom walking in them and she's dying. And, you know, you're going to design them so that you can wear them. Mm-hmm. Although it is inspiring and there's a good reason, it may not happen exactly that way because there might be something even greater and maybe it just leads to you to a a broader sense of design rather than that product. Mm. I just think that we have to be open to a process because maybe what you want to do, it starts out as one thing, but maybe it leads you to something even better. Yeah. Well, going back to what you were talking about, the creator, it's really interesting because I don't think I could have done it without that relationship, you know, without feeling like there was something greater than me that was pushing me forward, that I was a design and that I was meant to unfold and that I'd have support for that unfoldment if I just trusted mm. that that's how I was designed. I share that with you. Um, although that's not like a guarantee that you're going to like get it right away. <laughs> I know I've shared this with you, but in first grade, I was very excited. Now I'm with this group of people. We had just moved. I couldn't wait to ask the kids about, what do you think your purpose is? You know, I was so obsessed. Like, I'm doing my work. I came here. Smishy, you were a little first grader asking people what their purpose was. I can't handle that. And um, they were not interested at all. In fact, they looked at me like I was speaking another language entirely. And they would just get that long, vacant stare. And they would just go, um, no, but we're going to be on the monkey bars, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My best friend in elementary school, Scotty, he would always, when I'd say that, he'd give me this very funny patronizing smile. And then he'd be like, come on, let's go play ball. And then, uh, as you know, one day I asked and asked and asked. And then one day I was like, so today, do you want to talk about what you think your purpose is? And Scott came over to me and put his arm around me. And he's like, you know, Jewel, you know how you're always asking this? And I was like, yes. 
It's like the answer is never. We never want to talk about our purpose. <laughs> we don't want to know what our purpose is. Would you stop asking what that is? After that, I was like, I'm so confused. How can I help people if we don't talk about that? So I think. And now you can't get rid of people. You have <laughs> yeah, people calling all you they ask me. all day long. <laughs> and all they want to know is, what's my purpose? Oh, that is so <laughs> true. That's hilarious. You have to go through some stages, though, some awkward, <laughs> confusing stages. But it does help to keep at it with your connection to the divine. Mm-hmm. You're so right. I'm so grateful you brought that up because I think that's our mainstay. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, what people make of you will get you off course. You'll be like, oh, I'm nothing, or I can't do this, or they said I don't have any talent at this, or they said I'll never succeed. You have to be sure that you only listen to people confirm what you already trust as the truth. Yeah. Well, that was that was the part for me that was so good because I remember I had a session with you and you were talking to me about the concept of resources. And I had never viewed it this way. And you told me, you said, God is your greatest resource. Mm. And you said that, Literally, whatever you need, you have to know that you can go directly to your creator and you have a direct relationship, like a direct line to your creator where you can communicate and you have access to the most great resource. And that sort of blew my mind a little bit. I don't know why. I I guess I really needed to hear that at the moment because at the time I was so much outside of myself, Mm. you know, I was looking for all the resources outside of me. Mm. I was like, oh, but maybe I need, I need this editor to become aware of me. And then I need this person and that person. And then I remember doing that work and really going deep within me. And I remember having a conversation with God and, and being like, okay, you're going to be my business partner now, because I don't know how to do this but this is who I think I am. And this is what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And I need you to be my business partner. So you pick up everywhere that I can't or everything that I don't know. I need you to pick up where I leave off. Mm. And if I'm going the wrong way, I need you to bring me back to the right way. And I would literally have these like long conversations every night. And then I, I went through this whole period where I finally realized that Of course we need people, but the people that you need come to you anyway. It's sort of like a blessing. They, it just happens in the most effortless way possible. You don't have to do anything about it really, or seek it out. And I felt like I didn't need any kind of resource outside of my connection with my creator. And that that was really my greatest resource. And I think that that's what's really, really carried me through all these years is honoring that relationship before any other relationship in my life, because I knew that it first had to come from there. Everything had to filter through that sort of light Mm -hmm. or that sort of connection and go outward. That makes so much sense. And of course, it's always true. Like everything has to have a source. And obviously, if it's a limitless source, then you're never you know, without other resources coming to you. I think it's interesting what you were sharing, though, that once you saw that connection in yourself as valuable and your way, then the right 
resources started to come to you. I don't think that everyone's story is identical. And I think sometimes we have to clear a lot of stuff out of the way to get anywhere. And I think that's equally going to happen when you make your decisions to express your purpose. Mm. Because we're not here alone. The world is full of all of us evolving, but we're not all evolving identically, nor at the same rate, nor at the same time, nor from the same backgrounds. So we are evolving together, but not simultaneously. And I think it's important to expect on the road of life and in pursuit of your purpose that also you have to stay the course. You have to stay the course. And that's also going to be a very important part of attracting, you know, because otherwise we're like, oh, it didn't happen. I mu- it must not be my purpose. I guess I was wrong. And maybe you're not wrong. Maybe you just have to plant yourself on that path for a while. Or I think that's also so important so that you don't feel like you're disconnected from your creator or the creator of what supports you. And for people who don't feel that concept is user-friendly at the moment, doesn't mean they're not fed by a universal source. But everybody has some way of connecting to something greater than they are. And that's the most important thing. It starts you know, things start to evolve. Thank you so much for sharing that piece. It's like we shared the nucleus last. (laughs) And it's kind of like everything. Yeah. We really don't know what we are and we don't know what plan could be available for us. But we can hold it as sacred. Because it is, you know. Mm -hmm. And when I've done that, I know that a plan so much greater and more incredible than I could have ever planned for myself has happened. Mm. And when people ask me, how did that happen? I never have an answer. Mm. And that's my favorite part is really just surrendering to what it is while being and bringing all of me or trying to at least to every situation and room and project as possible, doing my best in that and hoping that it's enough. (laughs) It's always enough. Yeah. Until tomorrow. Yeah. Until next time. Smooshy, thank you so much for sharing what we do together and in a more outward-focused way. It feels so good Mm -hmm. to open up our conversation, our one ongoing 15-year conversation and and, um, invite others to it. So I hope for people who are listening, we're going to continue these discussions um, about what we are and hopefully we'll touch some other really interesting points soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm just really hoping that these empower people because I know at the end of it, I feel so good. I'm like, whoa, I am who I think I am. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Totally. It's both. (laughs) Smishy, thank you so much. Can't wait to do this again. Me too. Until next time. Okay, Smishy. Bye. Bye, Smishy. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. Thank you.